1: Two a swing a Deep left. Hey everybody, welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer, joined today by J.J. Cooper and Carlos Colazzo We're here to talk draft. We're just over a month away. But before we get into that, we have to start with the big news. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., the number one prospect in all of baseball, is coming up. He will make his major league debut on Friday. JJ, this is a moment we knew was going to come this year, but it's still exciting. Anytime you have a player this tremendously talented, the reigning minor league player of the year, number one prospect in baseball, obviously the son of a Hall of Famer. It's exciting for players. It's exciting for announcers. It's exciting for writers. It's exciting for everyone in the game.
0: I hate to be down, downer. It's also overdue. I mean, the reality of it is, is that... It's kind of hard to really argue that Vlad's not been ready for this since mid-last season, probably, at the, at the latest. Um, again, you could say, okay, he's been working on his defense, all these things. But, but the other thing that, that I kind of wanted to throw out to you guys is, is, and again, I'm excited about tomorrow. Everyone's excited about tomorrow. This, though, feels like, I mean, if you among the casual baseball fan, this debut is at a different level they say, like, last year at almost exactly this time, oh, that must be a coincidence that it happened right around the same time. Shocker, you know? I know, right? But, but around this time last year when Ronald Acuna came up. And I guess the question I have is, is, in my mind, Ronald Acuna coming up is every bit as significant as Vladimir Guerrero Jr. coming up. They're both, you know, top prospects, but Acuna was the reigning minor league player of the year. Number one prospect in the game. Vlad this year is the reigning minor league player of the year. Number one prospect in the game. You know, again, that's nothing against Vlad. It's just that this is yet another, into to me, what has been a long run. Chris Bryant, Ronald Acuna, Shoya Otani. You know, this is another one of those. Um, But it does feel like, I'll put it this way. It feels like the next time I talk to my mom on the phone, she may say, so, Who's this guy who's coming up for the Blue Jays, and that, you know, that, that is my standard of, okay, this has creeped into a uh, outside of the world of baseball.
1: Sure, I understand that, but I think it's very justifiable for two reasons. One, the son of a Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. Anytime you have your dad's name especially, it's going to get that much more pub, especially someone as beloved as Vladimir Guerrero Sr. was. And the second part of it is, he's got the entire nation behind him. The Blue Jays are Canada's team. It's incredible to watch just how far their fan base extends. Anytime they go play the Mariners in Seattle, thousands of fans come down from Vancouver to go watch it. Combined with the fact his dad was also Canada's own son for a little bit when he was uh, with the Montreal Expos, to me, it just there's so many more layers to it. You're right, on talent, pure baseball talent, we had Ronald Acuna Jr. ranked ahead of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. as a prospect at this time last year. But to me, it's completely understandable that both Shohei Otani's debut and Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s debut are going to surpass the casual fan excitement of Ronald Okunu Jr.'s debut just because, A, Otani being the two-way star from Japan, entire nation, all the hype, and then Vladimir Guerrero Jr., his debut, again, just for all the reasons stated, I think it's understandable, it's justifiable, and it doesn't surprise me.
0: The, the one other thing I would throw out there is, is that is Vladimir Guerrero Jr., they have Marcus Stroman, they have some other guys, but is he the most famous Blue Jay on the day? Yes. I think so. Yes, no I doubt. Think, I he, think he is the most I,
2: famous Blue Jay right now. You could have probably argued that last year and have it also been true. I mean, this guy has been famous so long because, in large part, because of how the team has kind of kept him down, as you were mentioning, way longer than he actually needed to be. The, the I, I mean, it's not just us covering these guys, but a lot of people are more focused on on the minor league system, especially for a team like the Blue Jays last year. I think you could have definitely argued it last year, and I think 100% today that's the case.
1: I think it would have especially been true after he hit the walk-off home run against the Cardinals in Montreal. As soon as he did that, then he wasn't just a prospect to Blue Jays fans anymore. This was someone they could watch on TV playing against big leaguers in the lineup with their big leaguers, and just the enormity of that moment, I think, really put him into the mainstream in Toronto, as well as baseball as a whole. It's an exciting debut. I almost wonder, to me, in my memory, the most hyped debut was probably Steven Strasburg's back when he came up with the Nationals. I remember it was Strasmus, I remember they immediately (laughs) had, uh, I think it was Bob Costas on the call as as, one of the premier moments of modern baseball, if you will, it was really hyped up. And obviously Strasburg has had a really good career, it hasn't been the every year winning a Cy Young Award that some people kind of unfairly put on him as an expectation. But I'm gonna be very curious to see just everything surrounding Vlad now, because while social media existed back when Strasburg debuted, it wasn't what it is today. It's a whole new level, and mm. I do feel like the initial excitement might be a little more, but I'm open to debate there. I don't have a definitive answer on that.
2: I feel like for a pitcher, at least a debut for a pitcher, it's a lot more exciting because you're gonna see him doing things more regularly throughout the game. I mean, he's every pitch, he's involved in something The cameras on him. With a hitter, you have three or four at-bats, and depending on where you're playing defensively, uh, you might have some chances as well, but I can see how if you have prospects of, of equal status, the pitcher would be more fun to watch for a debut just because you're going to get to see him do more.
1: Regardless, it's it's a great day. Again, anytime you have talent at the major league level, and we've talked about this, a system that incentivizes you not to carry the 25 best players in your organization on the major league roster is something that does need to be tweaked and should be tweaked in the next collective bargaining agreement. So hopefully we don't have situations like this again where the Arguably, he might be the best hitter on the Blue Jays within two weeks and probably would have been at the end say of two last weeks, year He's two. the best
0: hitter right now He doesn't I mean like you say but but Ronald Acuna and we talked about this last year If you go back to a podcast from spring training and my point at the time was is no Whether he's on the opening day roster or not Ronald Acuna is one of the best players the Braves have at this moment and that was proven true like again the thing that we have seen that is absolutely. Well, I agree he's yeah. one of the best. No, it's no. just that the best. I do think it's fair to who's, say. Who's better on the Blue Jays? Who... I would. And would...
1: again, and, and and, and it's
2: arguable. Right. No, I'm just saying say I'm not arguable, willing though, to I say. Go, definitive. I would go
0: beyond that. I would go beyond that, though. I would say.
1: I um, want to give him two weeks facing major league pitching to make the adjustments. I think gonna... he will.
2: I don't even know who you would say is better than him,
1: though.
0: Right. When you say that, though, when you say. What I'm saying is is that what he does in the next two weeks is immaterial to, like, if you if you talk to the. Again, if scouts can do their job. Or well, he will be their best hitter. I'm just saying right at this exact moment he in will time. So you're saying he will be this year? Pro, oh yeah, by the end of this year for sure. That he is there right now. That next two weeks isn't going to change that. Development like, happens over the course of the Major
1: League season. I have no doubt he'll be seven. better in he's July a prevence, and August. He's a present seven <laughs> hit tool, isn't he? At, that's the projection. We'll see if it happens right away. He will get there. I'm just saying it might not happen this very first week in the majors. Maybe it will. It wouldn't. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, again, wouldn't but, surprise. But, me. But that's
0: also true that Mike Trout could also go two for 30 in the next week. Right. He and won't. by but 2012, he, did, he was the best player in the Angels. No,
1: at, in 2011, he was not yet. He was going to get there, but he was not there but at my, that exact. But moment. my
0: point is, is again, my argument on this though is, just that what anyone does over two weeks, like again, Mike Trout could call go... call it a month, whatever, yeah. whatever time frame you want. Yeah.
1: He will be their best hitter. I'm not going to sit here and say definitively from day one, he will be greater than everyone I'm else. Saying let's, give it, let's give him, I'm saying let's give him some pro- I'll go there. I'm, I'm saying the laws of
0: probability are that he is. That's all I'm saying. But
1: us um, Let's yeah. talk draft. Let's talk cool. draft. But yeah, so moving on from the guy who is the number one prospect in baseball right now to some guys who might potentially have the chance to be. And, yeah. and with that, I want to start with Adley Rutschman because we've released the uh, top draft prospects expanded to 400. You can go on BaseballAmerica.com right now and take a look at all the uh, the 100 additional names. And really, it's more than 100 additional names because we had some guys move in, some guys move out. Mm-hmm. As we get closer to the draft, we're just over a month out now. There really hasn't been a question that Adley Rutschman you know, isn't the best player in this draft. Yeah. What's been interesting to me as the spring has gone on is just how much the reviews keep getting stronger and better yeah. to the point now where I think before going into the season you could say, hey, he's gonna be number one in terms of where he would fit in the top prospects in baseball. You know, Maybe it's 15 to 30 as Casey Mize was last mm-hmm. year. And now we keep hearing more and more things that not only is he gonna be a top 15 to 30 prospect in baseball the minute he's drafted, he might be top 10, he might be top five. We're starting to hear some things that are Kind of unbelievable in a way, mm-hmm. but as we've seen a lot of young players show us the last few years, what was previously thought to be unbelievable, we're seeing is now becoming believable. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I mean, he's having the best year he's had uh, as a hitter in college, and that's after like a very solid campaign before that. He's getting to his power much more uh, regularly than he did as a sophomore. Uh, he's continuing to hit. He, he's not really challenged by anything that he's seeing this year. Uh, And at this point, he has to be the favorite for the Golden Spikes award. I think earlier in the season, Andrew Vaughn was kind of giving him a run for his money, uh, maybe going for a back-to-back Golden Spikes um, award himself. But Vaughn has cooled off, and Adley has just continued to be Adley. And, there's again, there's just no holes you can poke in this guy's game. We were talking about it the other day. Uh, We're starting to do updated reports for all of these guys uh, that you'll be able to see on Baseball America soon. But, I mean, Adley is the best catching prospect at least since Buster Posey in 2008, and Matt Wieters in 2007, and I think you could make the argument that he's a better catching prospect than both of those guys. JJ, you'll have better feel for this than me with how long you've been here, but I mean, the overall package, the overall toolset of this guy, his track record of hitting, his impact potential, his leadership ability and makeup off the field, I mean, he checks all the boxes. The one box he doesn't check is running, and when you're catching, who cares? And again, and even then, it's not—he's not a twenty. No, exactly. It's he just runs, a, that's, that's he maybe just one tool that's not well a plus. For a Exactly. You could you could say all his other tools are plus outside of the run.
0: And, and what I would say is—is is, again, this is always difficult because we know a lot more now. Like mm-hmm. like, I like how you put it, Buster Posey, Matt Wieders, because yeah. clearly, looking at it with the benefit of hindsight, Buster Posey better than Matt Wieders. Yes, for sure. That's obvious. However. If you rewind yeah. the clock, if you go to back then, in time
2: and look at what scouts are saying, the report you had on the guys then before they proved themselves at the major then league. Then you
0: would level. have to put those at least in the same group. Yeah. The knocks on Weeders at the time were really big for a catcher, mm-hmm. which I do think ended up in, in hindsight that, the, you know, in hindsight that ended up being something that was at least a little bit affected him. Like mm-hmm. Joe Maurer was an outstanding, you know, but he had health, you know, health issues. Like the, there is not that you can't be a six foot four, six foot five catcher, mm-hmm. but those were the that was a knock that was a concern. Yeah. Buster Posey had the flip side, which was is he a little too small to be a catcher? And, and played it a ton. He hasn't played it a ton. He was a pitcher slash shortstop mm-hmm. when he arrived at FSU. He only has eighteen months at this. Mm-hmm. You know, so there wasn't necessarily that same comfort level. That this is a, you know, uh, goal. You know, uh, 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 he wasn't seen as a future eight defender yeah. type thing. Yeah, really. With Adley Rushman, you do struggle to come up with. I've asked guys. You know, you have two. I know you have two, Kyle. Like we've all asked, what are the knocks?
2: (laughs) It's funny. I I actually talked to you and asked the same thing. I was like, "Is there any nits you can pick with this guy?" Because I think you'll find that, especially guys at the top, once you watch them more and more, you start to pick a few nits with them just because you expect them to be the best. And for the most part, Adley has done that. The, The one knock that I got is that he hasn't thrown a lot. Like we know he has a good arm, we just haven't seen it a lot. And. The fact that that is one of the knocks that you're pointing out because other teams aren't running against you and, kind of speaks to how good he is across the board. And last
0: summer, we saw pop times that were... Unbelievable. Eights. I mean, um, we were have a video of this
2: on, on the website now and on Baseball America's Instagram if you want to go, but, I mean, his footwork, the exchange, the accuracy, he had, like, sub 1.8 times uh, down to second base throwing runners out. It was extremely impressive. I mean, he's very good. <laughs>
1: <laughs> What's been kind of impressive to me. And you guys do the bulk of our draft coverage. I just help out on the West Coast Mm -hmm. sometimes. And, but you know, I've asked guys as I've been making calls and I think what's kind of impressed me or or surprised me, I should say, when Mm -hmm. I've asked around is I had a cross checker tell me he thinks Adley Rushman's going to hit 40 home runs. I was like, wow, I mean, 40? as a switch hitting catcher while playing gold glove defense. I mean, that kind of blew me away. And I was mm-hmm. like, okay, let me see if I can, you know, get anyone else to go with this. Mm-hmm. And they all are. I mean, the offensive performance you're getting compared to, we're talking 280, 40 home run, like MVP offensive levels mm-hmm. while winning gold gloves behind the plate. You know, it's not just his skills at catcher. You hear about the aptitude, his ability to nurture a staff. I mean, it's almost like this insane package.
0: It, it really is. but. Uh, Carlos, I want to throw it to you. I'll give you. I know that you are a uh, a big believer in Bobby Witt Jr. Oh yeah. You know, we talk about Vlad Guerrero Jr. Now we're talking about Bobby Witt Jr. Who is there? Like, I felt like about this time last year, I remember us having a conversation, and I said, like, I just this is a year where it's for the first time in a while the draft itself made it easy. Mm-hmm. Like, who's number one? Because. Yeah. Well, last year was pretty easy, too. That's what I'm saying. Last year, this time, we were talking, me and you, and it's like, I can't really see. Again, maybe there's something out there that someone, some team doesn't like something about KC Mize. But if you just look at it, KC Mize seemed to be a notch above everyone else Mm -hmm. that we were talking about. And Bobby Witt Jr. is really good. Yeah. Andrew Vaughn is really good. J.J. Bladet has done a really good job of answering the main question that he faced coming into the year. Mm -hmm. He's an SEC performer, all that. That being said, it does feel to me like this year it's simple to me because Mm -hmm. Rushman, you know, again, when you talk about the track record, when you talk about the tools, when you talk about the fact that he's performed Mm -hmm. at the highest level, he was the star of last year's college world series winning team he handled a great pitching staff and he's done it well all those things am i oversimplifying it to say that there is just like there's clearly a guy who stands above this yeah
2: no i don't think so at all and i think the the key thing that you kind of touched on a little bit when you're going through those guys is every one of those players that you mentioned they all have questions or they have warts in some capacity where adley like we were just talking about there really is no question with him uh, with, with Bobby Witt, you can maybe criticize some of the swing and miss that he's shown. And as a high school hitter, not playing against the best competition in the country, you can question the hit tool. All of his supplemental tools are plus or better. With Vaughn, he's a first baseman. How much do you trust a right-right first baseman who's six foot when there's only been, I think, four of those who have played more than 20 games since 1947 at the major league level? Uh, when you look at J.J. Bladet, how much defensive value you're going to get from a guy who just has shown that he has impact potential. He doesn't have a long track record of that impact. It's very good that he's shown it this year, and that's obviously going to raise his stock, but how much defensive value are you going to get from a guy who's likely in a corner, uh, and do you believe that that power is going to translate to the wood bat moving forward? I think all those are are questions that you can pull these guys. If you look at C.J. Abrams, Riley Green, Corbin Carroll, some of these other guys that are in that top tier, you have similar questions um, with all of those players as well, whereas with Adley, he has the best combination of high floor and high ceiling of anyone in this class. I don't know I haven't caught anyone that's said that's not the case. I think you could argue Bobby Witt is that player at the high school level, but simply the fact that he hasn't shown it in college, you have less conviction in the hit tool there.
0: It is easy to get overheated when we talk
2: about floors.
0: Yeah. Most players' floors is. He's a minor leaguer. Yes. (laughs) Most players' floor is that this guy's a really safe bet to. Mm -hmm. If you say a a floor is AAA, Mm -hmm. that's a pretty high floor. Yeah. You know, made it to the majors, didn't stick. Okay. With that long preamble, I'll throw it out to you, though. What, because I do, I do think the two floor guys in this are Rushman and Witt.
2: What is Rushman's... I would say Vaughn is probably a floor yeah, guy, can too. Can
1: a high school guy really be a I would, floor guy? I, yeah, I, I think say, that's an interesting really debate of oh, more than guys like Vaughn and Rushman. I think
2: this is an interesting discussion because I think Vaughn and, and Witt are both good floor guys, but for different reasons. Whereas Witt, even if he never hits, and I think JJ and you were just talking about this the other day, even if he never hits, you can be reasonably comfortable that he's going to be an above-average shortstop plus, as a plus runner with plus raw. Yeah, I'm just saying, even if, even if mm-hmm. some, he gets a little bit bigger and the quick twitch goes away a little bit, like, I still think it's pretty safe to say he'll be an above-average shortstop. I mean, he does it phenomenally at this level. Even if he doesn't hit, there is value in that as, an, as a regular, everyday Major League player. Even with shifts, less defensive emphasis at shortstop with some of these bigger guys who can play there now. And then with Vaughn, it's kind of the opposite. The hit tool is so good that you can be reasonably confident he's gonna be a productive major league hitter at some capacity with the power that he has. Um, I raised the
1: point in the chat, you know, a guy like a Nelson Cruz who's been a defensive zero but he's still been one of the top 25 position players in baseball last decade just with what he's done with his offense.
2: J.D. Martinez too, I would imagine there's another guy you could throw
1: that out with. Edwin Encarnacion, like that impact bat where the defense might be a zero but you're still one of
0: the best players in baseball for a while. But what's Rutschman's floor?
2: I mean, I think I think it's similar to these guys with the skills he has a catcher. Same thing with catcher and talking about the again, defensive assuming, value of catcher and health. shortstop. Exactly,
0: we, we should say because again, a catcher is a position where in all these positions you take if you have a freak one too many
1: accident, balls off the mask and the concussion issues start. Things can go yeah, south. Real I think quick. the caveat that, with the, the floor risk.
2: discussion has to be if you're healthy because. Yeah. Realistically, you can get to a car accident. Anything can happen.
0: Right, but again, we're not talking about pitchers. Exactly. But we are talking about there are catchers. There exactly. are you know, exactly if knee
1: surgeries. I mean, I think the same thing.
2: Based on what what all of us here are hearing about his defensive ability, at the very least, and I think this is probably even lower than what his floor is. At the very least, he's a very good backup catcher. But I think that's doing a huge disservice to his other tools. Okay. I, it's it's hard for me to say the floor is like a, a regular everyday player because that's just so crazy. I think it. I but think the, I don't know if that's the floor insane Matt to say. Leaders?
0: I don't think that's a floor. Four-time All-Star, that's that's a hard... And, and, and I agree, but,
1: but I wanted to at least put it to you.
0: A I,
2: regular contributor, everyday player, that seems like a reasonable floor to put on a guy who's doing what he's doing. I, I the mean, I,
0: I'll throw it out that, like, again, okay, the other way I'd look at it is we had Joey Bart in last year's class yeah. who immediately became one of the best catching prospects in baseball right away. Had a very nice debut. Um, you know, a little banged up now. But if we're comparing... So if someone's out there and it's like, man, you know, Bart went, you know, was one of the top five picks last year. Was one of the, you know, yeah. if you, if you held a redraft right now <laughs> of last year's yeah. first round, you'd probably look at him going maybe two.
2: Yeah, I mean, you if, know, if
0: but how, and the thing that stands out to me is, is to me, I want to know what you think. Rushman's clearly a better prospect than Bart.
2: Yeah, there's really no question. I mean. Last year, before Rutschman has started doing what he's doing with his kind of power numbers, I would have said maybe Bart has the edge in raw power. This year, I I don't even know if that would be the case. I would I would imagine they're equal in that regard. Or or Rutschman hit tools, definitely advantage. Hit tool definitely advantage Rutschman. Defensive ability advantage Rutschman. I mean Joey Bart is very. This is not to knock Joey Bart by any means, but there were more questions about kind of how Bart got it done, his footwork, kind of his exchange, uh, all of kind of the details of the defensive stuff. I think it's fair to say Rutschman. Is more advanced in that in that regard. And Rushman
0: handled again. Not that Georgia Tech has bad had bad stats, no. but Rushman has handled more premium velocity mm. during his career. You yeah, know, all, all that as well.
1: Generally speaking, it seems like in every discussion that that I've had, and I know you guys <coughs> as well, Adley Rushman is clear number one tier mm-hmm. on his own. Andrew Vaughn, Bobby Witt—at least in my discussions—have been that's tier two. Those two together. Yeah, some people like Witt yeah. two, other people like Vaughn too, but they're two, three, in almost every regard.
2: I would throw Abrams in that discussion. Well, as that was well. my
1: question. I feel like every conversation I've had has been yeah. Abrams and Green are four, or five, and maybe they f- yeah. flip, but I've, I, it seems like that's been the discussion I've had, and then it feels like once six hits, hmm. that's when it gets wide open. That's at least been my perception.
2: I would say the bulk of the draft cycle for me has been. The top four guys, Adley Vaughn, Bobby Witt, and C.J. Abrams, have kind of been in their, their tier of their own for a long time now. I've talked with, uh, with teams who think that's pretty safely the top four players in the draft in some order, most of those with, I mean, I would imagine all of those, with Adley Rutschman at the top. Um, there have been a little more questions with C.J. Abrams lately. He didn't have the greatest NHSI, but he looked good at shortstop there. He's always had good bat-to-ball skills. I think with Abrams, um, at least defensively, there are are obviously more questions than with the Bobby Witt, but I I don't want to undersell him and say that he's not in that tier. I think the questions really start at five, Um, and I think at that point you've got guys like Riley Green, Hunter Bishop, J.J. Blade, Bryson Stott, Corbin Carroll, who get into that kind of conversation, and and I don't know if we're going to get a consensus, one through ten. You probably never get that in a draft with 30 teams with different evaluations on these guys, but... That's really where the second tier starts for me. I'm curious what you think, JJ. Yeah,
0: I think I I, again we try to
2: take personal opinions
0: out of it. Like I do think it's it's a three slash four. Like it's it's two to three slash four. Mm -hmm. As I think you could, my sense is is that again, and you can find, you can definitely find evaluators who are concerned about Bobby Witt's bat still. Mm -hmm. No doubt about that. Um, You could probably find I haven't found them, but you could probably find evaluators like. Much as I like Andrew Vaughn, I'm not taking a first baseman. Yeah. I haven't found anyone who
1: says that. I know. I, I, I we, <laughs> they, we've They're all, they're looking, all in. <laughs> yeah, we've
0: all been looking for it. We haven't found it. You know, you could probably find, you know, you can probably find a evaluator still says, you know, I, I actually, here's why I prefer C.J. Abrams to Bobby Witt. Mm-hmm. But I agree. I feel like it's like, okay, how about we say there's tier two, mm-hmm. which is those two guys. There's tier 2A, which is Abrams. <laughs> and then again the thing i'll say we have a month to go a little over a month the guy i would throw into that is if jj Bladay you you hit on some of the things which mm-hmm. ours is that you are really you're talking about a corner mm-hmm. you better really believe in the bat but yep. that said we know how you know if you every when i say i shouldn't say analytically inclined teams yeah. every team's analytically inclined now yep if you're looking at the analytics and a guy who came in with draft pedigree, who came in with tools, not like this guy. Let's put it this way. Andrew Benintendi went very high. J.J. Blade came into this year far mm-hmm. higher up on boards than Andrew Benintendi yeah. did his sophomore mm-hmm. season. He has a longer track record. And when a guy performs like that, like he is performing in the SEC, mm-hmm. That
2: means a lot. Now, again, you could also make the argument for Hunter Bishop because yeah. I think Hunter Bishop's tools are a little louder. I'm glad you brought him up. He was the guy that I would kind of say he's the other guy that would be in consideration. And I think a more recent example to this JJJ, JJ Blade, excuse me, uh, discussion we're having here is Jonathan India. I mean, he kind of did the same thing, some mm-hmm. of the same points stand. He, he came into the season lower on the board than Blade did because he didn't have that extensive track record in the SEC to the level that Blade has. Uh, but his junior year, he had a really big power spike. Hit the ball really well throughout the year. He had pedigree coming into college, and kind of he performed solidly throughout his years, but never maybe to the expectations that he had on his head coming in. Showed that power, and then you see he goes top 10. I think Bladé is another example. They're obviously different profile-wise where they play, but kind of similar showing impact their junior year and their draft 363,
0: 20 homers for Bladé, 462 OBP, 796 slugging in the SEC. Yeah,
2: he's among the the country's leaders. In right, last last
0: we checked, tied with uh, Cody Hosey. Cody at Tulane. And one of the things, again, J.J.
1: does a lot of southeast coverage. I, I do a lot of west, and I'm hearing a lot of the similar things about Hunter Bishop, where mm-hmm. you're right, at that number, you know, let's just say the top four, top five, there's a very real chance Hunter Bishop goes in that five, six, seven no range. Doubt. And we consistently have seen this. You mentioned Jonathan India. We can even go back the year before. Keston here, again, a guy people knew, people liked, mm-hmm. but really became a top 10 pick because college bats are what move up faster than any other, any other demographic. And with Hunter Bishop, you have two sport athleticism background. He was drafted out of high school by the same team as Bledet and 15 rounds higher than Blade. Mm. He's a little bit bigger. The tools are louder. There's actually some a chance he stays in center field, mm-hmm. whereas Blade it seems like he probably yep. is going to go corner. It does seem to me, just in my discussions, that... Again, that Rutchman, Wit Vaughn, Abrams, we can throw Green in there at five. That, that's kind of been what I've heard. Mm-hmm. But then six might be Bishop. And then the other guy that I keep hearing, you know, every time we send out um, our list to kind of get sourced from scouting directors, front office officials, we well, always hear, hey, move this guy up, move this guy up. It's been interesting to me watching the yearly progression of Nick Lodolo at Texas mm-hmm. Christian because I feel like every single time we send, it, it's like, hey, move him up a couple spots. Yeah. Hey, move him up a couple. And just kept being this little mm-hmm. move him up a bit, move him up a bit, move him up a bit, to, heck, now he's in the top 10 as the top college
2: pitcher available, or top pitcher yeah. available period. <clears throat> I think the Nicola, the Nicoladillo one is interesting. His last few starts haven't been as great as his first seven were. Uh, and it'll be fascinating to see where he goes in the draft, because while he has, been, he has been very impressive and he has increased the strikeout rate this year, just performed better than his first two seasons, which were just solid, not outstanding. I think him being the top pitcher on the board is more reflective of the, the class. Uh, the fact that the college pitching this year is weaker than it has been. I think there are some guys behind him, Jackson Rutledge and uh, Alec Manoa. Both of those guys have both performed extremely well this year, have much louder stuff. What, what kind of s- jumps out to me about Lodolo is for the top pitcher in the class, his stuff really isn't as loud as maybe you would expect, I'm curious what your oh, I, I, your experience with the I don't draft think would his stuff is his that
0: tradition. much louder than someone in his own uh, one of his own teammates. Yeah, I mean, like again, his stuff's better than Brandon Williamson, mm-hmm. but who's not considered mm-hmm. a uh, first round pick. But it's not significantly. Yeah. It's not at a different. If what we've heard consistently about this class is, is this class lacks again and. and Rutledge is a different story, but Rutledge is in a juco, which is a little different, mm-hmm. also. But as far as when teams are looking at really what we would define as, re- usually it's the Friday starter. Yeah. I- I'll put it this way, the way I can sum it up. If you could take the top pitchers in the college pitchers in the 2020 class, and you could move them into the 2019
2: class. I feel... Emerson Hancock would be very excited. Emerson Hancock
0: and Asa Lacy would go higher than any of these college pitchers we're talking about. Yep. And I don't think it would be close. I think if you said, where do those guys... And again, there's a, there's a long way they have to go before their names are called at the draft. Yeah. That being said, every time I do a call and I start talking about, you know, let's say we're talking about SEC pitchers, mm-hmm. We're talking about the twenty twenties, and it's like, oh yeah. By the way, let me talk about the twenty nineteen. Yeah. And again, and when you talk about the SEC, you're you know you're talking about some significant pitchers. You know, mm-hmm. you're talking about Tom Zach Thompsons. You know, and you know you're talking, mm-hmm. but yes, Emerson Hancock, Ace Lacy are the kind of, to lack of a you know, those are the front row of the rotation starters mm-hmm. that teams always want to see in the draft. Yeah. This year's top college pitchers are much more, more of the mid of to I get a, I, I've had guys tell me that they don't know if they have a guy who's a really a true number three mm-hmm. in this you know, group.
2: Yeah, and Nick is also interesting because he still has more projection than most three-year college pitchers would have with kind of a 6'6", 180 frame. still has some room to fill out and add some weight. He's always been kind of that lanky, projectable arm. Uh, so but, you could project a little more on him if you are if you're really like him.
0: However, the <laughs> thing that's not working in his favor, yeah. again, you do not ever want to overreact ever on any couple of starts. And that is something that is easy to get kind of in danger of. That said, two of his last three starts, as we record this, Mm -hmm. you know, on a Thursday, you know, in late April. 39 days to go. Two of his last three starts have been poor. Yes. Last start was his worst start of the year. Again, he got roughed up by Oklahoma a few weeks ago came back against Seton Hall, which nothing against the Pirates, but that's not one that's going to, you know, be like, okay. He stared down the, uh, the, the mightiest lineup he'll face this yeah. year. And then Kansas State, which, again, this is not, you know, murder. This is not the 27 Yankees. <laughs> and he struggled again. Right now, that is a momentary blip. Yeah. However, we all know if that momentary blip carries over and we, we're saying the same thing this Saturday – and next Saturday? Yep,
2: it definitely matters. He is
0: not going to be the first pitcher taken in the, of college pitchers in this class mm-hmm. if he finishes, you know, the season struggling like he is right now. Because, you know, again, the flip side of this is, is we do have guys mm-hmm. who are, I mean – Again, Manoa is, is on a tear right now. Yeah. Again, He's been the best do, pitcher
2: in college baseball the last three weeks.
0: You do not want to overreact to small sample sizes. You do need to look at the overall picture. Mm-hmm. But again, that being said also with Lodolo, that's not really a, a – if you said that, Lodolo came into the year with all the pedigree coming out of high school and mm-hmm. all that, and he's been solid at TCU. Mm-hmm. But he came into the year and it's like, you know, it hasn't all come together like yeah. we had hoped. And then it did, or, you know, it has parts for a good bit of this year. And then now it's starting to back up a little bit. He needs, to, he needs a strong final month.
2: He does, for sure. And one caveat before we move on is I think Lidolo would absolutely destroy the 27 Yankees right now. <laughs> They'd never seen a slider before, so he'd be but, fine. <laughs> he would shut them down.
0: <laughs> They'd also be like, this 90-92, to 92, <laughs> what is this fireballing would—they yeah, would, they that would be nice.
1: Moving on, one of the other interesting things about this class to me, and this is something I spoke to you guys about last year, historically speaking, first rounds of drafts have typically been roughly half to two-thirds college guys over high school guys. It's very, very, very rare to see more high school players taken in the first round than college players. Last year was one of those years we had 19 high schoolers taken in the first round, 16 college players it was one of the rare years we've seen more high school guys taken than college guys this year as the 400 is lined up right now 15 of the top 23 prospects are college so it seems like the pendulum has shifted back a little bit that we're back to more of a quote-unquote normal year where about two-thirds ish maybe a little Mm. less of your first rounders do project to be college guys
2: yeah I think that's right. I mean, just looking kind of at our, our internal list right now, I think only eleven of the top thirty-two, which is first round, before you get into kind of the comp and supplemental picks, uh, are high schoolers. So that'd be close to a third around that. Um, I think so. The, the the high school pitching is down from twenty eighteen, uh, and obviously, Kyle, you know this more than many people. Uh, the kind of questions about high school right-handers, how high are you going to take those guys with the kind of risk that that is incurred with them previously? And there are a lot of college guys. Maybe it's not. The impact falls off a little bit quicker kind of with this class as a whole, college and high school. Uh, But there are a lot of interesting college guys as we kind of move down the list. We talked about Jackson Rutledge and Alec Manoa a little bit. Zach Thompson, I feel like maybe is the most underappreciated guy in this draft class. He's just kind of quietly doing it this year, having a very solid season. That's good for him on the mound. There are a number of college hitters that are interesting. Logan Davidson, the shortstop with Clemson, who's very tooled up and has hit well in ACC. Shea Langilleers uh, in any other year would be getting a ton of attention as the best catcher in the draft class. This year, obviously, he can't do that. Uh, you've got some <laughs> some other hitters, Will Wilson, the shortstop in North Carolina State, who actually is banged up a little bit at the moment after a collision last week. But he's got a long track record of hitting really well. Chance to stay at shortstop, probably not. I mean, there are a number of interesting guys, uh, and I do. I mean, I do think it's going to be more college-heavy in the first but round.
0: I also feel like that this is. We've heard a lot of knocks on this class, which is normal. Mm-hmm. Like, again... You I feel know, like every
1: year around this time, scouts I would say, the class. But, I would but say, but though, just... To-
0: I would say the top of this class is where... if This class is exceptional at the top.
2: 10. The very top ten, I think, is comparable to last year, for oh, sure. Oh, I think
0: the... No, I, I would go beyond that. Like, the top players in this class... Like, this top three is better than any top three we've had in several years, I would argue.
2: Yeah, the very top three is very, very good. But what
0: happens, though, is, is that... I do think though the flip side of that is is and again if you took I had a evaluator put it to me this way if you took just the high school pitchers Mm -hmm. who didn't sign from the first round last year and you compared that to the high school pitchers in this year's class, their argument was basically I would take, you know, especially the right handers, which I should say Mm -hmm. that. You would take the right-handers, the the Kumar Rockers, Kumar the Cole Rocker, Coxes, Cole Wilcox, JT
2: Ginn, Carter Carter
0: Stewart, JT Ginn. Yeah. You would take those guys over the high school right-handers, mm-hmm. the whole class of this class. Of you definitely would. And
2: the Carter Stewart one is kind of interesting because last year's Carter Stewart is definitely not this year's Carter Stewart. I think he at this point it looks like he's gonna go a little bit lower than where he was taken last year. The stuff he's flashed all of the stuff that he sh- he showed as a high school senior. The consistency just hasn't been there. He's added a slider. The curveball hasn't been as consistently elite as it was a year ago. So he'll be interesting to kind of see where he ends up. But, I mean, I agree. I don't think there's any question that last year's pitching class on the high school end and the college side was much better than what we're looking at in 2019.
1: One question I want to ask you guys, because we all talk to scouts from from different parts of the country. JJ, you do a lot of Texas, a lot of the SEC country. Carlos, you do things nationally, uh, but you also have certain areas that, that you hit on harder than others. Um, I do a lot of stuff in, in Southern yeah, California. Yeah, Carlos is
0: crazy. His, his, his coverage area is, <laughs> the is the world. country, that's
1: true. He, he does a great job. Uh, make sure and follow Carlos on Twitter for all you folks who follow the draft. There really is no one out there who does as good a good job as he oh, does. Oh, thanks, Cal. Of course, brother, I got you. <laughs> um, and then I, I focus on, on Southern California and, and check in on the West Coast mm-hmm. in general. And I wanna ask each of you a player from your area who is maybe not considered a first rounder on a lot of the more prominent boards but the things you're hearing this guy could slip into the back
2: carlos who you got okay um well i'm gonna go further down the board um so one of the areas that i focus on is obviously the carolinas i mean we're we're right here i get out to games talk to a lot of scouts around here but um we talked about the pigeon class not being as deep, but there is a there are a lot of guys who are projectable and interesting, and if they can kind of take an, another step forward, um, what they can be will be pretty exciting. There's a North Carolina prep pitcher named Blake Walston. He's a left-handed pitcher out of New Hanover High School in Wilmington. Um, obviously, the track record of recent pitchers from the coast in North Carolina is pretty good. Kenzie Gore is very good. Blake Walston is not that, uh, but he is in athletic, tall projectable six foot four pitcher he's low ni- low 90s good strike throwing ability I think he is a fascinating one to keep an eye on just to see where he goes um, another guy who's maybe a little bit further down the board is James beard he's a guy out of Mississippi kind of an, an, an athletic outfielder Love I mean him. I think prior to this spring season the high school season he was a guy who was who was interesting people weren't really running in to check on him one of the fastest kids in the draft. Well, when you say one of, if there are... I mean, he, pro- he has an argument to be the fastest. I was going to say, sure. he may
0: be the fastest. Yeah,
2: he, he ran the fastest 60-time 60 60 at the uh, East Coast Pro last year, beating guys like Jerry and Ealy. Um, and this year, he's added some more strength, has hit a lot better, has gotten to kind of his home run power, and definitely boosted his stock. He's another one that's further down the board, but, but fascinating.
0: I'm going to go another game. We're going further down the board, but mm-hmm. um, you talked about Shea Langoliers a little bit. Yeah. And Shea Langleyers, you know, obviously I think has a better bat. I think I know where you're going here. You, you know where I You know exactly where I'm going. <laughs> so we're going to keep it in Mississippi. Yeah. Which is Cooper Johnson uh, is – I'm going to comp him to High school or college? College. College. Cooper Johnson, catcher at Ole Miss, is – I would comp him in many ways to another uh, Southeastern catcher from a few years ago, Jake Rogers. Like everyone loved Jake Rogers' mm-hmm. defense and thought – he didn't have a great year offensively. He had a, in his case, I think there was a lot of injuries involved, if my memory serves correctly. But, but, but every, I can't talk to, I can't find a scout. I can't find a recruiting coordinator. I can't find a college coach who doesn't feel confident that Cooper Johnson is a big leaguer. Now, his bat's been better this year, but it's not a great bat. Never will, probably will be a great bat. But the point that everyone makes is when you watch, the, when you see the defense this guy has, when mm. you see the way he handles a pitching staff, when you see his arm, the way he shuts down running games, all those things. All the things that you're looking for defensively catcher. And we are in a world now where, I guess, especially at the backup catcher level, the bar for hitting right now where we sit in major leagues is very low. Everyone's like, yeah, if you take him you feel very, very confident Mm -hmm. you're getting a big leaguer out of it who will probably play for a very – the makeup, too. Like, again, one of the things about a catcher that you want to see is that guy who just embraces Mm -hmm. all that comes with – all the rough stuff that comes with catching. Cooper – everyone seems to think that the Mm -hmm. Cooper Johnson has that. Again, and the bat is not – like, I don't want to make the bat sound like it's great because it's not. But the bat's not – this is not a, someone who's a zero with a the bat. There's mm-hmm. a little bit of power in there. Maybe he ends up being a platoon-type guy. But, again, I, maybe I'm not going with the sexiest thing when I talk about a guy who might well, be well, a bad guy. the question yeah, I valuable. have for
1: you is Jake okay. Rogers won the third round. So what would separate Cooper Johnson as being maybe to able – No, I'm saying maybe the third go, round. No, I'm saying – Okay, I was asking about guys who no, can I'm, sneak yeah, into the Yeah, and I'm first. saying I'm going,
0: I'm going a little lower on it. Okay. Cause we're, we're like going – because Beard's not going to go – yeah, than I didn't.
2: Either. I definitely wasn't doing guys who yeah. could sneak into the first. Right,
0: so I, we're, we're, we're just we we want to go into our down. like little deeper sleepers, you know, and uh, you know, but no, Cooper Johnson. I think a third round grade is a realistic grade for him. Mm. And but what, but again, what we're talking about though, is, is what I find fascinating about this is is that he could end up going in the third round, mm. and I'll feel very much more confident about him than many of the guys who are going to go in the 20 to 30 to 40 pits yeah. both before
2: him. Here's a guy who could sink into day one if you want. I, I, would, I would just be a little upset if I didn't mention him just because we were definitely too low on him uh, kind of a few weeks ago as a left-handed pitcher at Missouri, T.J. Sikama. Um In this year's draft class, I feel like there, there could be some potential wild cards on day one with pitching just because the depth falls he, off quickly. So if you like a guy, you can feel more confident taking him early. But T.J. Sickema is a guy who scouts absolutely rave about. This guy comes at every hitter, he challenges every batter, he's got outstanding makeup, is an, a legitimate bulldog, he's kind of got a multi-slot thing going yep. on from the left-handed side. His stuff isn't overwhelming, but he has really good control of four pitches that are solid, and it's ticked and up it, a little bit this year.
0: And if you put him in the pen, which yep. there's a lot of debate about whether he ends up in the pen, but if mm-hmm. you put him in the pen, it's like he could move really fast. Exactly. Now, again, you always... The thing that's always dangerous about this, now, this is a guy who's he's worked as a closer for Missouri. Mm-hmm. He's also basically been the Friday star. He's done a little bit of everything for them. I always get a little hesitant, you mm-hmm. know, because we've been burned so many times on the college reliever mm-hmm. who's going to move quick. And then we go, man, you know, and again, it was tragic to see Birdie go out there for the Pirates and blow out his arm mm-hmm. potentially again. You know, we hope it's not too bad, but mm-hmm. I haven't seen a final. But, but you go, man that was about five years ago now that, you know, the birdie, you know, we went uh, basically the birdie brothers and how quickly they're going to move. And it really hasn't, you know, it it takes a lot longer. It's really hard to come up with. Brandon Finnegan moved really quickly to the big leagues as a reliever. And was DFA'd this spring. And was DFA'd this spring. Like there's not a lot of, uh, of, you know, like, oh, there's not a lot of what we used to see 10, 15, 20 years ago where it's like, Ryan Wagner, who ended up having a very short career, but like... That's you... a deep hole from the Reds. <laughs> but look up, Greg Olson did not, I mean, going back to the 80s, but Greg Olson spent about an hour in the minors, and then boom, he's a reliever in the big leagues, all that. We just don't see that very often. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, again, teams are going to have to evaluate with Sigma whether they want to
2: yeah. start him. I mean, or... I don't think, I don't know why... it. Even if you think it's unlikely, I think he's a guy who you run out to start until he, he tells you, okay, I need to move to the pen. But, I mean, he's increased his strikeout rate every year while starting more and more each season this year through nine starts and 12 games. He's got the best ERA uh, of his career in the SEC, 1.46 ERA. with 71 strikeouts and 22 walks. I mean, he's pitch- he is a pitcher more than a thrower, more so than some of these other guys that we've talked about already. Two guys that I wanted to highlight uh, out west. We talk about guys who
1: just play and hit, and they play in the dirt. They tend to move up. I want to start with Chase Strump over at UCLA, yeah. second baseman. Everyone you talk to just says this guy is one of the purest hitters in the draft. Mm-hmm. You know, Slow heartbeat, nothing phases him, just consistent bat-to-ball skills. Mm-hmm. You start getting comparisons to guys who were offensively driven second baseman, who had long careers in the mm-hmm. major leagues. Mark Loretta's is the world, the Mark Gretzelonix, guys like that. And there's a sense that he's playing for the number one program in the country. Mm-hmm. He's the top prospect on the number one team in the country. Everyone's running in to see him. I have yet to hear really a bad thing about him. You know, the defense is fine. It's not great, but it's fine. Stay at second base. He's going to hit a ton. And a lot of times, those are the type of guys who move up into the back of the first round. And the other guy is Brooks Lee, who is a middle infielder from San Luis Obispo High School. His dad, Larry Lee, is the head coach at Cal Poly and kind of a noted hitting guru. Surprisingly,
2: Uh, Brooks is also committed to Cal Poly. I know, right? Shocker.
1: (laughs) And the thing with Brooks Lee that just keeps coming up is his instincts are so advanced. Mm-hmm. His bat is so advanced. But it's not like he's this undersized, all instincts, limited tools guy. He's gotten a lot bigger, a lot stronger. People talk about his handshake. Makes you feel like you're shaking hands with a 30-year-old man. <laughs> he's really bulked up, uh, 6'1", 6'2", good frame, good weight on him. And what's also been talked about is because he grew up in the program, he's been kind of messing around, scrimmaging, and playing with college guys since mm-hmm. he was in middle school just super advanced in everything he Mm -hmm. does. The skills are there, the tools are there. Play shortstop now, you'll hear some people say, we're shifting nowadays, he has the hands and the arm for it, even though it's not the most super quick twitch thing in the Mm -hmm. world, you can see it working there. Even if it doesn't, it's second or third base, no problem. And again, I just go back to guys who play in the dirt, there's a high level of conviction they're gonna hit, and you add in instincts and some bloodlines, there's a chance that if it's back the first round, it might be comp first, but those are two types of guys who both have kind of the pedigree and the performance mm-hmm. to say, you know what, they're not slam dunk first rounders right now, yeah. but I don't think it would qualify as a shock if either of them snuck into the back.
2: No, not at all. I think Shrumpf is a good one too because he's a guy who earlier in the season he was kind of struggling out of the gate and we were like, oh, well, do we need to drop him? Kind of isn't hitting, second base profile, uh, but kind of consistently we got like, no, we all, we all think he's going to hit. He's got a fantastic swing, like you mentioned before, just that kind of low heartbeat guy, and he's a guy who I think um, maybe would have gotten more attention had he played over the summer last year. He's a guy who did not, and I think... Had an
1: injury and it prevented Exactly, and I think
2: sometimes the guys who don't play, you can go to the Cape uh, and make some noise for yourself and kind of get really hyped up or do well with Team USA. Guys who just don't play, you might forget, them about, them, forget about them a little bit, but again, you kind of summed it up perfectly. He's a, he's a guy who just has a good track record of hitting, uh, and high-probability major leaguer at some point, I would imagine. Yeah,
0: I mean, and that's, those are also the guys that sometimes we look back on and go, well, why didn't that guy go higher? Yep. Yeah, it's definitely going to
1: be fun. There is one other guy whose name came
0: back to me as he's rising.
1: Quinn Priester, high school right-hander out of Cary Grove High School in Cary, Illinois. Mm-hmm. He's someone else that uh, the name has come up. We talk about these mm-hmm. high school right-handers and in the study I did last year, it shows a lot of times the guys picked 30 to 40 end up better than the guys picked 1 to mm-hmm. 10. He's someone who, who just he keeps popping up a little bit. What are you hearing on him?
2: Yeah, he came out of the gate really well. A lot of scouts are impressed with his first few starts this season, uh, kind of 92, 94 with some good life on the fastball. He's got good feel for a breaking ball and a changeup as well. What's fascinating with Quinn is I actually got to talk to him at the Under Armour All-American game last year, and he's a guy who's never had a pitching coach. He's never had any kind of legitimate pitching instruction, so I kind of asked him how he – because if you look at his delivery, you would definitely not think that's the case. He has a very sound mechanical delivery um and i was like well how how have you improved like what have you done to kind of train yourself up And he's like oh i watch youtube videos he watches youtube videos and kind of breaks down pitching and tries to implement it himself so he has a very high aptitude and then with that you would imagine as you get into like uh player development at the at the major at the pro level or at the college level like this guy can take a huge step forward
0: no that's that's impressive and also it also is a sign of of how you know the democratization of, of everything yeah. now because, again, a, a guy can do that now because, I mean, think about trying to do that 30 years ago where mm-hmm. it's like, okay, I'm watching some highlights on Sports Center at yeah. night and I probably get a team, whereas now it's like, I like that picture. Let me watch some more of that. Uh... And even
2: beyond just the, the better access to higher quality video, you have lots of companies doing better job with programming. I mean, USA Baseball has plenty of programming on their website. You could just go check it out and read it if you want develop your own offseason yeah. program, and this is something that Quinn's done. I think it's a testament to his ability on the field and, and kind of in between the years. Absolutely. Well, guys,
1: it's uh, certainly going to be an exciting five or six uh, weeks here or so until the draft. It's uh, it's Woo-hoo. coming up quick. There's a lot of things that can still change, but uh, we are starting to see some things solidify, and uh, it's going to be a fun, stressful, but uh, but fun <laughs> upcoming couple
0: of weeks. No doubt. Looking forward Absolutely. to it. Absolutely. I mean, again, this is the fun time of year. It's it, it, it is a lot of work. We I just mean, lock ourselves in the office yeah, we, and write as
2: many reports and do as many calls as possible yeah, and I we get it done. Closely,
0: you know, we've each you know, got at least 150 to go. So, yeah, uh, a lot, long won. ways to go. You
2: know. We'll get there. And yes. then list. Yes, your favorite.
1: Yes, we will. Well, make sure and check back on BaseballAmerica.com for all the latest, uh, the most scouting reports you'll find anywhere, the most in-depth scouting reports you'll find anywhere. We've got it all. For Carlos Colazo and J.J. Cooper, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening to another edition of the Baseball America podcast.